Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You can't get by on how many likes, you, how many followers on Instagram you have. You can have 10 million followers on Instagram. Your makeup sucks. Your makeup brand's going to not do well. It doesn't matter. A lot of these, the influencers now, they think, well, I have... All these people like me, and so I'm going to start a makeup brand because I'm going to make money. It's like, no, you got to have a product. You have to have a killer winner. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking Beauty. Hi, Carlene. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Just want to give a shout out to our new subscribers. Maybe you found out about us through the Emma Gunn show or you read about us on Refinery29. But in any case, welcome. And if you have an opportunity to give us a review over on iTunes, we would love to hear from you. Good hair today. Me? Yeah. Oh, thank you. T3 wand. Are you going to compliment my makeup? I, <laughs> I'm wearing more than usual. I'm getting to that. Oh, One sorry. compliment at a time. It's dark in here, so <laughs> can't really see it fully. Well, the reason I say that is because <laughs> I'm wearing something of a daytime smoky eye, and oh. I don't usually do that. And and what products are you wearing today? Well, since you asked, I'm using the Smashbox Holiday Palette. Okay. In honor of our episode today with co-founder of Smashbox, Davis Factor. I'm so excited for this one. Smashbox Cosmetics was founded by Davis Factor, our guest today, and his brother, Dean, Dean Factor. Factor. Davis is a photographer, and his family lineage is quite something. Yes. Well, as you may have guessed from his last name, he is part of the Max Factor empire. Yep. Max Factor was his great-grandfather. And, um, you know, that company was since sold. And then, yeah, a little while later, Dean and Davis um, started Smashbox Studios in L.A. And in 1996, they started Smashbox Cosmetics, yeah. now, which now has 390 SKUs. I think what's cool is the fact that they're out of L.A., mm -hmm. which is a hotbed of makeup products right now. You yeah. know, you've got Urban Decay, Anastasia, mm -hmm. Kat Von D, ColourPop. Yeah. And um, although they're over 20 years old, they're still buzzy. They've grown every single year over yeah. the past 20 years. I think that says a lot. Who would have thought back in 1996 when they created this brand that really focused on the backstage element of working at a photo studio that... Yeah. In fast forward to 2017, every single one of us has basically a photo studio in our pocket. Yeah. So yeah. that definitely helped with the brand and keeping them current. Part of the 
brand's DNA, and again, this is going back to their lineage, is really about creating products that look great on camera. Yes. And so speaking of that, their number one bestseller is still to this day the photo finish primer. Yes. And to give you an idea of how successful it is, 1.89 units are sold every minute around the world. Okay. That's a lot. Um, so I can't really say that they're first to market, but mm-hmm. I think we can safely say that they were the first brand to popularize Definitely. the idea of skin primers. And it's important to make note of that because now I just feel like blur products and blur everything are just so yeah. part of the makeup lexicon. And mm-hmm. before there was Facetune, there was primer, which essentially you put it on your face as the first step before you put on your foundation or your base and it's just going to even out all your pores, all the texture of your skin and make your makeup look better and last longer. That's the whole idea of it. Yeah. And the photo finish primer is silicone based, mm-hmm. also has antioxidants in it. Mm-hmm. So they do have some skincare elements as well. But really, the idea with the silicone was to make, create this super even surface. Yeah that the makeup would just glide on really Mm -hmm. evenly. It would also um, keep skin looking matte throughout the day or throughout a photo shoot with its origins. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now they've really branched out from there. They've created a bunch of spinoffs. They have a silicone-free spray, photo finish spray for people who don't like there's primer water there's color correcting primers you Mm -hmm. name it and then and then on the market you know they they've just exploded into color as well my favorite um color product from smashbox is the always on lip color Mm. and a lot of people may know that because they did a partnership with lily Singh, and that product is an incredible incredible liquid lip color if you guys haven't tried it it's won Mm. a lot of awards yeah um and the colors are beautiful and you know i think it's just really on point with how they keep the buzz the buzz with these partnerships and estee lauder was wise to the brand yes in 2010 they they bought smashbox Mm -hmm. and that at that time dean factor left the company but davis stayed on board and he sort of keeps that you know flame of passion alive he keeps the storytelling going um you know he jet sets around the world to promote and talk about it and we've said this before, you know, brands who have living founders, they have a leg up, I think, mm-hmm. because of that. Well, that's what this whole podcast is all about. And just getting out those juicy stories. And yes. Davis definitely has them. We just want to point out that Davis, he has a really bad cold, so his voice is a little bit more nasally than normal. We have a lot of ground to cover, so <laughs> let's get started and listen in on Davis's childhood growing up in Hollywood, the place for glamour and power. Pass the popcorn. My name is Davis Factor. I'm the founder of Smashbox Cosmetics. Um, growing up in Beverly Hills was a lot of fun, actually. Um, we had a really uh, uh, not a very conservative mother and father, so we kind of got to do what we wanted in a lot of ways. Like they always encouraged us to like be creative and do whatever we felt like doing, doing whether it be sports or you know study harder or whatever. They didn't really push us to kind of like conform us to a certain way of being. They wanted us to kind of let our individuality come out. So my brothers and sisters were all like super different from each other. We all went in different directions, except for my other brother and I went to cosmetics together in the studios. But, you know, and I was super into like sports and, and photography and art. And, you know, I did excel in, you know, in, in school. Like, you know, I wasn't great at math. I wasn't great at, you know, some of the subjects that I 
um, whether that interested it. But the subjects I was interested in, whether it be history, art, all that stuff, sports, I did really well in. So my parents were great because they really kind of let me go in the direction I wanted to go and without, you know, like any restrictions whatsoever, which is which is really amazing. Um, fun, super fun. I mean, I grew up, you know, in the late 70s, 80s, and um, running around Hollywood and the beach and surfing. I mean, I've been in the water since I was a kid and kind of went the skater surfer route and... Um, Photography, from the time I was super young, I um, loved cameras, I loved photography. My dad was kind of a really good amateur photographer, and my family business at Max Factor um, would do shoots as well. And so I, my dad was into photography, and then my mom would bring me to the shoots. And so I was kind of being exposed to photography at a super early age. And um, so what I did is I just kind of like, I my dad gave me a camera when I was like 10 years old. I think I figured out how to use it by the time I was 12. <laughs> and, um, you know, I started shooting, like, at school, like, all the sports stuff. And then I started shooting at the beach, a lot of surfing. And then I would shoot all my girlfriends and bring them home to my mom's house and, like, put makeup on them and shoot. I realized that if I use makeup, you know, in my shoots, I could kind of, like, enhance features and almost also even kind of, like, do some dramatic stuff as well, too. Go a little crazy with it. And so super early I learned, you know, the girls kind of, did their own makeup, and um, I would just kind of like, well, do this, like, make a real dark eye, and see what happens, so I can shoot it, and I think it was more or less um, just kind of like already in me or something, you know, I can't explain why or how, but, um, you know, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, we grew up a little on the wild side, but, you know, none of us got in any trouble or anything like that. We're all good kids, and, you know, my <laughs> friends' families ran the studios. So my friend's dad was president of Universal, president of Paramount, president of MGM. It wasn't like a lot of celebrities mm -hmm. running around going to Beverly High. I think Nicolas Cage went there and like, uh, you know, a couple others too, but my friends were more, more ended up going off to run studios or starting things like Fox, you know? And my grandfather was the CEO of Max Factor. So my dad was in business as well. They all went to business school at USC. Uh, my brother went to business school there too, and law school. So there was a lot of lawyers and business going on in my family. So most of the people around us were like serious business people, like people who ran the business. So I got a sense of what it was like to be in a corporate situation. My family had a publicly run company, and um, being around that part of it, and and to find the creative, I kind of had to find my own way in that way. I grew up a very creative person, a very business atmosphere. So life in 90210 was pretty grand, but we also wanted to hear from Davis how he reflected back on his heritage that helped build that whole reality for him, his great-grandfather, Max Factor. You know, when I look back on my family heritage, you know, Max, you know, had a big family. He had sons. Max and his sons ran the company together. It was a family business. It's always been a family business, but innovation was the most important part of what he did because every single piece of what we call what he actually named the phrase makeup um he invented there's nothing that's here that he didn't invent fashion your eyes with max factors hi-fi fluid liner mascara wand eyeliner pencil and cream eyeshadow all in heavenly sky blue it was funny i was just looking the other day at a 
a chronological order of everything that was invented from like 1920 to you know to the end of the company. And it's insane. I mean, things I didn't even know about, like certain nail polishes and hair, platinum blonde, um, every kind of makeup, or mascara, eye pencils. I mean, it talked about why they invented the you know certain componentry for the product, but most of the products were were, were invented because of motion pictures, because Pmax was you know, the key makeup for all the movies, you know, as Hollywood was growing. And and, and skip a little forward as television, when television came out and color television came out, Max was instrumental in, you know, kind of balancing the skin and getting the colors right, you know, for the lighting when it came to television. So it's always been about innovation. It's always been challenged to come up with products that worked well on the set. Um, Smashbox Cosmetics was kind of the same way. I found... Holes, I found things that I thought were super important, and we just filled them. And, and it was like revolutionizing makeup and, um, you know, continue to kind of like move in the direction that my great-grandfather moved in, which is just kind of like creating stuff with an ever-changing environment. We have HD now. So whatever comes next, whichever, you're going to have to adjust to it. It's kind of like what the, that's the concept of Smashbox. I mean, it's pretty amazing if your great-grandfather invented the word makeup. Mm -hmm. So his whole innovation and why he was so in demand was because he made these actresses look phenomenal on camera, on black and white, Mm -hmm. and everybody knew this pancake makeup. Yeah. So with, you know, sort of that in mind, it's kind of funny that then what Davis invented decades later in a much more modern way is that it's all about making the skin look great and making people look their best for on camera and it's interesting that milk makeup is actually Mm -hmm. you know picking up on this idea too they created their makeup line out of the studio life in new york so if people aren't familiar it's milk studios when you're there Mm -hmm. shooting you see like tons of celebrities tons of models it's in the meat packing and yeah their makeup is really cool as well but most of us are not privileged enough to be on sets on movie sets as children we had to find out from davis what that whole experience was like I was pretty young. Family sold the company in the middle 70s. So I have to remember. But I do remember walking into the studio. I think it was Alvin Watson. And I remember walking into a studio. It was a big room. It was super dark. There was like a spotlight up where the stage was. And the girl was sitting there. And she looked like, it looked like Marlena Dietrich. It was like a really cool photo, like a retro photo. I just remember walking in and looking at it and going, whoa, like, what's going on here and I remember watching the models walking back and forth to the makeup room to the set and it was like they transformed from the makeup room to the set even though they were done it's just the way they walked in and they got in front of the light I watched them in front of the light I was like wow it's like it was like beautiful and I was just like in awe of it and, and, and I can't remember exactly who I saw I saw a bunch of them mostly models and some celebrities. Every celebrity was a Max Factor girl, like every single one. So he invented the celebrity model. He was the first one to do it and did it well. So that was really interesting to hear. And I definitely believe that it's still rooted in that Hollywood image. 
every girl, like he said, is a Max Factor girl as recently as three years ago, even though we don't have Max Factor in Canada anymore. Gwyneth Paltrow was a Max Factor girl, I believe, in 2014. And Pat McGrath was the design director for Max Mm -hmm. Factor Makeup. And Mm -hmm. I'm just reading something here that she said, you know, Max Factor is the original glamour brand rooted within makeup artistry and innovation. Mm -hmm. I'm Googling everything that has to do with Max Factor, and I stumbled upon this story from The New Yorker about when the original Max Factor was coming to America, which was in 1904. And it says, On a winter night in February 1904, 27-year-old Max Factor huddled with his wife and three young children in a Russian forest, frightened more for the family he had kept secret for nearly five years than of the wind and the snow or even the approaching Tsar's men calling his name. Only days earlier, Max Factor was a favorite of the royal family and esteemed by the royal court. Now he was hunted as a fugitive. Needless to say, Max Factor's beginnings, middle and end, his life reads like a movie script. But getting back to Davis's story, because he is now setting up a legacy in his own right. When we left off um, learning about that, it was Davis as a young boy growing up around the studio. So we asked Davis how he took his photography hobby to the big time with Smashbox Studios and how a cosmetics company grew from there. I was a photographer shooting in LA and New York. I graduated school, Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. I got a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. I went to work in Paris and pretty quick. And uh, then I was in New York and it was great. And then in LA, there was nowhere to shoot. Come back to LA and you'd be like borrowing your friend's studios. It seems to me that this would be a perfect place to open up a studio like New York, a super studio. And so my brother, Dean, who was at USC getting his um, MBA, Master's in Business Administration, I found a space down in Santa Monica. It was an old boat warehouse and it had this great glass front to it. So this light came, it was beautiful. I went in there and looked at it. I was like, this would be great. And thought, well, why don't I open up a studio? I'll make it just the way I would want it for myself and see if photographers from around the world will come rent it. And it's basically what my brother and I did. From day one, we were booked, busy all the time. It was just a great vibe in there, the way that we had it set up, the way the food was, just the aesthetic of the place. And it just blew up. And I just, I, I wanted to test it out, I wanted to see if it would work before we went and expanded into you know, a space that had multiple studios, like a super studio in New York, which we did end up in Culver City, where Smashbox is, was then and is now. I think we have four studios now. We had five, but we need more space for cosmetics because it's growing too fast. And uh, turned London Studios into the uh, you know offices, part of the office. But yeah, the studios we 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 expanded about a year into it into Smashbox Studios in Culver City with five studios, and it was the same thing. I mean, it just blew up. And for ten years, we were you know we're still to this day the place to be. Before the cosmetics brand started, we had a beauty agency. That represented hair, makeup, styles, styles, hair, makeup, stylists, set designers, art directors. And Paul Starr was, you know, he's passed, but one of the great makeup artists of all time. And Paul came to my brother and I and said, listen, you know, I've been represented by all these agents all over the world, and I've never been happy. What do you guys think about representing me? My brother's like, we don't never represented anybody before. I was like, I never represented anybody but Dean, my brother Dean was like, well, let's talk about it. So we spent a lot of time with Paul. 
And he basically talked us into believing that we could do it. Paul brought his friends in that were all top artists. And within about a year, we had the top beauty agency in town. Dean and I have been talking about creating a brand, but we also needed to create the infrastructure of talent to help us figure it out. And the other day, Paul helped us figure it out. I knew what we wanted to do. Paul knew what we wanted to do. I was about innovation, invent stuff. And we all sat together, and Paul and I sat together and started writing things down and invented things like the primer and um, brown tech and our eyeliner was really cool, jet set, and you know, a bunch of different stuff at first, some lipsticks. Like he used to have to mix together a bunch of lipsticks to get a color. Madonna liked this one particular lipstick, so it's like, how'd you make it? Just mix the three together and some, put it in there. So why don't we put like 10 colors together that you have to mix to get? So that was like the concept of that. We didn't go into retail right away. We just basically, Dean and I picked some packaging out. We had some samples made of the lab, the Valley of Classic Cosmetics. We um, developed the brand. We put this little... We put a, we built a, like a display cabinet. We had the makeup in the common area, and I don't know what happened, but about a month later, I was opened up W Magazine, and I saw a long, you know, story about Smash, what Dean and Davis are doing with Smash Arms Cosmetics, and they actually took a photo of it, and they wrote the story about it, and next thing you know, all the department stores are calling us. If you guys get a chance, you have to Google Paul Starr's makeup. He was incredible, and he was a really close friend of Linda Wells, who was the founding editor of Allure magazine. Mm -hmm. There's tons of pictures with Angelina Jolie and him, Lindsay Lohan. He was like one of the original celebrity makeup artists, mm-hmm. like a Kevin O'Quinn. Yeah, kind that of, kind of that like kind legend. of time timeline for sure. Mm-hmm. And Madonna, you know, he's like mixing up makeup colors for Madonna. Right. It didn't get any bigger than that in the '90s. Yeah. Back to Davis, I sort of jumped in when we were talking to him, and I thought, well, this seems to me like a foregone conclusion that mm-hmm. you obviously are going to start a cosmetics range right. because. Your great-grandfather's Max Factor. Yeah. You know the developers. You know, so I asked him that, if he thought that this was just something that was in his blood that he was destined to do. I have a lot of coincidences happen in my life. It's really weird. Like, I'm one of those people that, and I'm not, like, that superstitious. I only have one superstition. Don't put a hat on the bed. So my only one, and I've been following it forever, but I, I do have, like, there are certain numbers that come up and certain things that come up with me that kind of, it's weird. It's like, it's too close to being, uh, it's it's too close to, to being, what's it called? A, um, there's too many coincidences that happen in my life, like that all the time. And it's not like, oh, I'm buying a white car, so all of a sudden you see all the white cars in the street. It's like, I actually have like numbers and stuff that come up and people see it. So I don't know, for some weird reason, I think I must have some weird sort of psychic, but I think that that goes along with this because the fact that we did what we did is impossible. There's no way you could have told me I would be doing this when I grew up when I was coming up. I would have never, ever, ever thought I would do it. I was not interested in it. But it wasn't until we developed the studios, which then developed the beauty agency, which just let, and then my friends started their own makeup brands. Like Janine started Stila, and then she showed me the renderings before it started. I was like, okay. And my brother almost kind of goes, what are they doing? Like, if they can do it, we can do it. There's no way that we can't do this. I go, yeah, but we need a concept. We can't just do makeup to be competitive. That's why we need to do innovation. 
I always looked at Mac as like the renegade brand that went and did it, the indie brand that went on the road, did it like us, and look what they did. So they, I always looked up to Mac because they always did it right. They, their voice was loud and they didn't back down. Competing against the people I've actually worked together with now, I can see like how difficult it must be for a lot of other brands. But ours came super easy. That's I'm not saying it didn't come with some downfalls. It definitely did. But at the end of the day, you know, being competitive in a very competitive market as a little person, like with just some two guys that own a company on their own, it's, it's you got to be pretty lucky to actually break through. And you have to do some really good products. Mm-hmm. You have to really do good products. The products have to stand on their own, you know, or else you can't get by it how many likes, you, how many followers on Instagram you have. You can have 10 million followers on Instagram, your makeup sucks. Your makeup brands could not do well. It doesn't matter. A lot of these, the influencers nowadays think, well, I have all these people like me, and so I'm going to start a makeup brand because I'm going to make money. It's like, no, you got to have a product. You have to have a killer winner. You cannot just put out the same stuff that everybody else does because there's no way you're going to, no one's going to buy you after two seconds. Mm-hmm. I love the insight into Davis's personality here when he starts to talk about his superstition and numbers because again now that we're you know almost a year in with the podcast we're starting to connect the dots you know what what do these incredible successful founders have in common mm-hmm. and we have heard that before you know there's a lot of intuition and you know talk about destiny and there was another founder who really believed in the power of numbers and she had it was the number of seven for Barb Stegman and she just saw it over and over and over again in her journey toward creating the seven virtues and um, and Alt Davis said that as well and I asked him later I said what's your number and Jill thought I was asking him for his phone number and <laughs> I was like cool your jets married lady yeah cool and, and right away he came in with two two two. Yeah, like, like, you guys were very simpatico on that. It kind of freaked me out because we had moved so far beyond that number conversation. I'm like, what are they talking about? Yeah. He definitely seems to be a person who relies on that gut instinct Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. In this podcast, a lot of what we really set out to do is talk about the best sellers and Mm -hmm. why they're worth the spend. And definitely with Smashbox, their cult, cult favorite, like we talked about off the top, is the Photo Finish Primer. And so we had talked about how quickly it sells around the world. And to give you an idea, um, this one of the fun facts that we got from the company is that if you were to stack up all of the Photo Finish Primers sold in 2017 alone, it would reach the top of the Empire State Building 257 times. That's a lot of flawless skin. <laughs> so let's find out how this iconic product came to be. I was looking, I always look at women when they come out, they come in clean, clean face, clean hair. So she'll come in with no makeup on. And I started looking at women's skin. I see, started to see the differences in skin. I started to see like, well, we're putting foundation right on top of the skin. And then the photographs, I'm starting to see through it. And I see it break up or I see how it stands up. Also, foundations at the time, every woman had to wear a different kind of foundation because they were just kind of like allergic to one. Their skin broke out with some. 
you know, so much you oil you, so much you this or that. It was very like, they're all over the place. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I mean, it seems to me there should be one thing that everybody can wear that will help the face. And I was like, this sounds really crazy, but you know, when you buy a car or a house, what do they do? They, there's the wood, they, they sand it, they prime it, and they paint it. I'm like, well, why can't we do that for a face? There must be something I can put on before that'll fill lines in or that will help to reduce redness. That'll be uh, something that'll be like oil-free. There'll be, you know, so many different kinds of like acne control, like different things that you could do. Um, and also like to rejuvenate, you know? And so we went to the lab. There was a product out there in Asia. It was a primer type of product. And we looked at it. I was like, I like this, but it was a little too wet. It was like, it was weird. And the lab was working on some formula already. That was kind of close to what we wanted. We, she, I explained to her that, and she said, it's a good idea. And I said, I want to fill the lines in, leave your face super smooth. You can wear it as a foundation, or you can put your foundation over it, and it's going to make the makeup set on your skin better. Does that make sense? And she's like, absolutely. Just here it is. That was it. <laughs> Okay, let's do it. What do we call it? Like photo something, photo primer, because I was photo finish. Talk about getting in front of a trend. Well, I really think it's an art giving people what they want before they even know that they want it. You know, they always talk about Henry Ford. What Mm -hmm. if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. Smashbox really does keep close to its roots in the studio. The studio is still up and running, and celebrities are still going in and out today. Yeah, I've been there a couple times. It's really, really cool. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, I I would love to visit it. Um, but we weren't going to let Davis get away without giving us a juicy celebrity story. I walked in the studio and I had no idea what was going on. The parking lot was filled. I walked in, there's like 50, 75 people hanging out in the common area. Playing pool, so I walk in. It's just like, what? I was like, Jack Nicholson. Here's Johnny. You know, John Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Scorsese. You know, just all these directors and actors. I was like, what's going on here? This is insane. It's like I looked around, and every single person I looked at was the legend director that I that any movie you've ever seen. They're all there. Every one of them with some actors mixed in. So it turns out, I guess those actors had directed some films too. And he was shooting a photo of like all the greatest directors of all time. And I was like, this is so crazy. <laughs> and so I pretended to work there. I was like, oh, can I get you coffee? Sure. So I was there like two hours, getting coffee, cleaning the floor up, helping them, whatever. Like I just put on black, I walked in there. I was like, I work on the studio. It was really funny. Okay. The energy was so insane. So I've actually had the opportunity to visit the Smashbox Studios. Mm-hmm. I went there for Los Angeles Fashion Week. Show off. Yeah, like 10 <laughs> years ago. You were probably like in Paris or something. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was there for LA Fashion Week, and I just remember like Dr. Dre was front row. Whoa. And like, let's not forget, this was the mid noughties as it were. I think it was like 2007. So <laughs> like two seats over and one row back was Stifler. Awesome. <laughs> I did sit beside Davis in the front row. It was very interesting to see LA Fashion Week at the time, mm-hmm. and Smashbox Studios was integral to even a f- Fashion Week happening. 
But I love what Davis said at the tail end there. He talks about how he just put on black and basically pretended that he was an assistant at the studio so he could be, you know, a fly on the wall. And I think that's one piece of insight that I got from him as well was that, you know, he has this amazing lineage and basically like swings a big hammer. Um, but he's not afraid to be, he talked about at different times, he sort of alluded to this, how he, when he shot Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton, like they're so, 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 so sweet. And, you know, he credits for Kim Kardashian, um, her mother for basically training her Team children Chris all the way. so well, because they're so professional, so sweet, doesn't matter how huge they get. And he himself is like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really a credit that he's not afraid to sort of get down in the trenches. Well, we know that he has had all the big names in his studio, like mm-hmm. you just mentioned, Kim Kardashian. I saw him on Jen Atkins Instagram stories last week. He was mm-hmm. being he was the photographer mm-hmm. for something she was doing. And so we wanted to know what about the shenanigans on set? Did anything happen with any big celebs when he was behind the lens? So I was shooting Angelina Jolie in the studio. Uh, Lorenz Scott was a stylist. Uh, Paul was a makeup artist, star, I believe. And we're shooting her, and it was really cool. I had been shooting her a bunch back then. And um, I remember, like, right behind me, we have this big metal door that opens and closes. And in that door, there's, like, a door, a cascade of door. And when you bang on it, it just it vibrates this hard, clicky metal sound, like those metal doors do. And someone was just knocking on it really loud. It was clanky. It was vibrating. It was just, what the hell is going on here? So I stopped the shoot. I turned around. I opened the door. And this little guy goes, hey, I'm looking for Smashbox with an English accent. And I was like, yeah, you're at the back door, but I could walk you through the studio in the front. He said, all right, thanks. And so I look at him. It's kind of familiar. It's kind of weird. All right, come on, follow me. So I walk him, him in. I walk him through out my studio door and towards the front. As I turn around, I look at everybody in my studio is following us out. Like, what's going on here? It's like the Pied Piper. I realize it's Bono from U2. <laughs> And I don't know why, I don't know why this happened. It got lost, he couldn't find his way in. I walked him through. Everybody in my studio follows, everybody follows to the front. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, that's Bono. I was like, oh yeah, it is. Like, things like that happen. Like, I was running, I was going around a corner one time, and like Meg Ryan or something was coming around the other way, smashed into her, she fell on the floor, and I was like, oh my God, pick her up. Just all kinds of crazy stuff. I remember Jack was coming in the parking lot and we watched him outside and he was looking all around like, where am I going? And like, we walked out the front door. He's like, hey, we're smashing. And everybody hit the front door. He's like, face, come on in this way. Do a cigar and like that. I remember I come in the equipment room later. They always would put Polaroids up on the equipment wall every year for the whole year. We'd make this big collage and they put souvenirs and stuff up on it. And I saw his guitar. I saw, I'm sorry, uh, the cigar butt tacked to the wall. Someone actually went outside, picked up the butt, took it out, tacked it to the wall, and put it up there with Jack's butt. <laughs> Davis Factor's life could probably be a movie in itself. Yeah. Well, I think these all of these parallels that, you know, to old Hollywood and yeah. new Hollywood, like... It could start with the Max Factor movie, and course. then, like, the sequel yeah. would be the Davis Factor movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, in, in that vein, we actually asked him if 
would-be filmmakers came to his to his door and said, we're going to make a movie about your life. Who would play Davis and what would the central drama be? It wouldn't be about me. It would be about Max Stockton. The story would be about Max and Frank and the family. It would be an amazing movie. A movie about me would be like, it's, it, 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 it wouldn't be fair not to do a movie about Max first because that was really Hollywood. Like, he blew it out. He, they were the number one cosmetic brand in the world for a long time. You know, all the other brands came after that. And, and so that's a story right there. The fact that I did what I did, you know, against all the odds and the way we did it, it's cool. Yeah, but the, where's the hook? Yeah. The hook is... This guy invented makeup for all the movie stars that you know of a movie star and all the hair too. And just a movie about just the Jewish immigrant coming in, you know, against Oz, going across the country, going and create falling into the situation with Charlie Chaplin and to up and you know, all the innovation that he did, all responsible for, you know, silent movies, they didn't make expressions for a long time. You wonder why they never moved their face. Because they would crack because they put that white stuff on that was like a clay or crack. He invented pan sticks, so then all of a sudden, put that on there, everyone's smiling in silent movies. So it's like that's the story right there. It would be, it would be, it would be an amazing movie. I always think about it. I don't think about who would play Max Factor. I don't know. Maybe I could play his son. <laughs> I could play Frank. No, it would be cool. Davis doesn't, when you meet him, you think he's going to be this, like, cool guy that's, like, devil may care. Yeah. He has a rock and roll quality. Totally. Yeah. He really does, you know. I think he's being a bit modest when he says, like, oh, it's all about, you know, my family before me. And, yes, he's standing on the shoulders of giants. But he himself is, like, a low-key rock star. Yeah, exactly. We asked Davis to tell us what a day in the life of a makeup mogul looks like. I mean, I wake up, I usually do yoga in the morning, you know, train in some way, try to train every day, um, eat, go to the office, maybe go down to the studio for a few meetings, have a shoot, I have to wake up super early, I'm all prepared, I'm prepped, go into the shoot, do that. But like, I watch sports, I like sports, I like to travel, I like art, I like, I'm an ex-pro skier, and so I have a house up in Salt Lake City, Utah, spent a lot of time skiing in the winter. And, um, you know, I just got back from South America. I was heli skiing in Chile for a couple weeks. But, you know, my days are pretty loose. Like, I'm, I go to Laker games. I'm a big Laker fan, so that's boring. I see some tickets. In L.A., the weather's so good all the time. And you can just kind of, like, hike and just do all kinds of stuff. And we had Fashion Week at Smashbox. In Los Angeles, we owned Fashion Week for about five years. And we ran the shows at the studios. And so Nina and I basically ran it with IMG, which was our partners out of New York who ran New York Fashion Week. Nina and I ran Los Angeles. And um, Lori was our key makeup, is our key makeup artist, was the key makeup artist for the shows. And so we would put teams together and we did the makeup for the shows. And before we did Fashion Week in Los Angeles, Dean and I always had teams of makeup artists doing Fashion Week in New York. So we've always been involved in Fashion Week in New York, Los Angeles. And I'm now at a point where I have different things that I do. I have a product line that I'm putting out right now of scarves and, you know, I'm a photographer where I shoot a lot of stuff internationally. 
So I was in Paris this week. One, because I like to see the shows of some of my friends, and two, because I was able to do business with a lot of people that I work with. But three, you get inspired when you've got them. Plot twist. I think our listeners would be surprised to know what Davis has up his sleeve next because it has nothing to do with beauty. It's actually a secret fashion project. Yeah. So Davis was a little mum on the details, but he did share with us that he's working on a collection of scarves in collaboration with a designer out of Italy. So my guess is that it's going to be, you know, the finest quality of cashmere, perhaps. And so I can imagine it will be something luxurious. And like probably that. black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Judging on his style that day. You know, and they're working out those details right now. But in our final question for Davis, we had to ask him about the best business advice that he's ever received and some advice that he passed along to budding entrepreneurs or to even some budding actors. The best business advice I ever got was don't have all your eggs in one basket. It just is what it is. Don't just, you have to have a few things going on at once. I didn't want to just be a photographer. So I wanted to create a business outside of photography, which is the studios. Then I want to create a beauty agency, the cosmetics company. You see what I'm saying? So now I've got four different things where you have a source of income possibly coming in from. You know, and then you take your money and instead of buying a bunch of clothes and stuff, by art, by something that's going to appreciate a value. You know what I mean? So that's always what I was told. And then, you know, people catch the acting bug. I'm going to go be an actor. What a great idea. It's like, yeah, they're handing out contracts at the freaking airport when you get out of baggage claim. Oh, I can do it. If they, There's like 500,000 adult actors and sad. You can't, like, I don't know. It's just never understood. No one ever says to me, you know, I know it's going to be hard. I know there's a lot of competition. And it's not going to be, I'm going to give it a go. See what I'll give us time. And if it doesn't work, I'll get out. People are in it and they have the blinders on. And they think that they're the only ones that look like that or that are like that. When they don't understand that just everybody's like that. You have to really be like open to reality. And, and if you are, then, you know, like you, you got to take things a little slower and you have to stick with something. Growth, when you grow, you can diversify. And that's how you. You, have, you, you expand your business. But you don't like bounce from this profession to that profession to that profession. It takes 10 years to 15 years to be successful at something. Mm-hmm. Five years, you know whether you should be doing it or not. 10 years, you should be doing it okay. 15 years, you didn't. And so you have to put the time in to do it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to start at the bottom. You have to start at the bottom too. Work your way up. All my friends that are most successful, that's what they did. That's what I did. I washed dishes at first. Some of the greatest minds like had a simple idea and it turned into something. It's like you have to plant the seed and let it grow and see what happens. Thanks for tuning in. Visit breakingbeauty.ca to sign up for our newsletter and every episode will be delivered direct to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And be sure to subscribe to us. There's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix. And if you're up for it, show your love by writing a review in iTunes. 